Well, this morning we're continuing our series called Sermons in This Stream, and we're going to be looking at the life and leadership of Moses, and uh, if you would open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2, we're going to go through several different passages in Exodus that I'm going to want you to turn to, and at the end we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 26, so if you might find that and put a mark there as well. I've titled this sermon series, Sermons for This Stream, because the way I've imagined it is we're all in a raft together. And this is just a guess, but if I had to guess, the, we're coming around a bend in the river that's <clears throat> been mostly pretty calm, and I would guess that, that the water ahead is more turbulent than the water behind. That would be my guess. And in rafting terms, that's called white water. And of course, when you get on a raft in the river, uh, maybe you're on it just for the white water because there's some dynamic to it that feels like it's life-giving. But of course, you know, that's also the most dangerous part. If you fall out, you could drown. And so if it's true, we're heading towards some white water, maybe in our own hearts or soul or in our culture or in a church, how do we navigate that? What's, what's the skill that we need to navigate that safely. And I want to answer that in part by looking at the life of Moses. Now I'm going to quote to you several quotes from a book that I found very helpful, especially in leadership. It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by a woman named Ruth Barton. Very helpful very devotional. It's not something you pick up and read in an hour. It's something you just sort of plod along and and listen and learn. Primarily, she speaks about the life of Moses. Now, the last 40 years of Moses's life is the the portion of his life we know the most about. This was the time where he brought the people of Israel, the Hebrews, out of Egypt and into the desert. And this 40-year period, when you read about it in Exodus, Exodus, it feels like constant white water. It's just one big challenge after another. And if I could stop and sort of hold Moses for a second, I'd say, what, what skill did you use to navigate this white water? What was, what was a keystone habit? What was something that was your, your go-to in order to continue to live faithfully and continue to lead faithfully? That would be the question I would ask him. And I think one way that he would answer is he would say, my, my first response would be what, what the keystone habit for me was my private encounters with the Lord. I just, I couldn't have made it otherwise. If I didn't regularly have time where I just sat and listened to the Lord, there, there would have been just too much noise, too, too, too many rocks in the stream to navigate successfully. And we might say these are disciplines of prayer and solitude and listening. Here's how uh, Ruth Barton talks about Moses' discipline, quote, Moses' hard-won strength of soul, hard-won strength of soul. You hear that? The, the strength of your soul is going to be hard-won. 
You're going to have to fight for it. It's not something you just wander into. This is a, a somebody who's got steel in their backbone. This is somebody who's made of some strong timber. It got forged, Barton continues, in his private encounters with God. That's what gave him the staying power he needed. Moses allowed, listen, his challenges to draw him into a deeper reliance on God. He allowed his challenges to draw him into a deeper reliance on God. I wonder if, like me, sometimes my challenges actually draw me away from God. I I can't believe God's allowing me to do this or go through this, so I just step away like I can't trust him. And instead, that's, that's the very moment I should be stepping toward saying, I don't get it, but I trust that you get it. And that's something that Moses learned. Moses didn't seem to have great strategies. He didn't accept that he sought God in solitude. Moses did not achieve his vision the way he had envisioned. Let me say that again. Moses did not achieve his vision the way he had envisioned. But he knew God and God knew him and perhaps that was his greatest achievement. Moses did have a vision of something, but what happened wasn't the way he envisioned it. And in the end, well, Moses knew God and God knew Moses. And Barton says, and I would say, yes, perhaps that's the most important thing after all. Not, not what you sort of accomplish or what you get done or what's on your, your lifelong resume or your tombstone. It's just that you actually knew God. You, you turned aside. You, you listened to him. He knew you. So my first question I want us to consider this morning, many of us, if not most of us, are navigating significant challenges. And are those challenges drawing you into a deeper reliance on God? Or are they pushing you away? Is the weight that you carry, significant as it is, moving you towards despair or busyness or apathy? Or, or even if your vision is not turning out the way you envisioned, is it okay just that you know God and God knows you? Is that okay? Is that good enough? All of life, all of Moses' life was a journey towards God, and, and it happens for Moses in three easy stages. Moses lives to about 120 years old, and he lives his life in three 40-year stages. The, the first stage, the first 40 years, we know Moses was born as a Hebrew slave, but he was raised as a, as a son of the Egyptian princess. Moses was destined to be a leader. Moses was groomed to be a leader. And Moses wasn't going to be just any leader. He was going to be the leader of a powerful nation. And so that's the first 40 years of Moses' life. He's grown up inside the, the palace of the Pharaoh. He's learned leadership. No doubt at the time he's wandered out and seen what's happened with the Hebrew slaves. And this is where we come to chapter 2, which I want us to look at, verse 11 through 15. This is the beginning of the second 40 years. Verse 11. One day, this is year 40, when Moses had grown up, He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He went out to his people and looked on their burdens. 
And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man who was in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And the man answered back, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Consider the internal conflict Moses is having in verse 11. Don't don't just pass it by. Who is Moses? What's his identity? You see, he's not, he's not really at home in either place. He, he's not an Egyptian. He doesn't look like an Egyptian. Everybody knows he's not an Egyptian, and yet he grew up as an Egyptian. He's not a Hebrew slave because he grew up in the Pharaoh's house, but yet everybody knows that's where he came from. And here he stands in verse 11, and you can feel that internal conflict. I don't know who I am. I don't know whose I am. Verse 12 through 14, Moses can't exercise emotional control at a key moment. He he doesn't allow any distance between his assessment of the problem and his action. I wonder if anyone's ever done that. I assess something, I act on it. Now, if your kid's running out in the street, that's probably how you want to operate. But so often when there's not any space between your assessment and your action, so frequently that leads you into trouble. And it led Moses into trouble. Notice the the four quick steps Moses takes. This is the path he chooses. Anger, murder, hiding, and fear. I see something and here's how I react. Anger, murder, hiding, and fear. Anger, murder, Hiding fear. Those steps familiar? I'm angry. It's not turning out the way I want. It's it's not what I had envisioned. And therefore I murder. I hate people. I, I I'm disgusted by people. I tear them down. I maybe I tear myself down. I tear my world down. Then I hide because I I don't want anyone to see that I'm really like this on the inside. So I put up all kinds of facades. I cover myself so no one thinks I'm this angry murderer inside. And I live in constant fear that somebody's going to find out who the real me is. This is what's churning up in Moses' soul. He has the right desire, but he takes the wrong direction to solve the problem. He took on a God-sized problem, and he tried to fix it himself. He takes on this God-sized problem, this conflict between the Egyptians and the Hebrews, and he decides somehow he can step in and he can fix it all by himself. Ever done that? Moses makes two significant miscalculations we can see here in the text. First, he kills a soldier. But how can he kill an army? 
it's one thing to kill this one guy, but, I mean, there's a whole army, and Moses, of all people, knows about this army. There, there's no way he has the power to conquer what's standing behind this one soldier. And then notice his second miscalculation. He can't conquer the hearts of the Hebrew slaves. You notice when he comes back the next day? Hey, you're going to kill us too? Who died and made you the king? They're not interested in the kind of leadership Moses is giving. Why? They're very familiar with that kind of leadership. You don't do what I like and I kill you. Well, that's the kind of leadership we got, Moses. We're not interested in following you if that's the kind of leadership you're going to offer. And so this had to sting Moses. He's trying to help his people out, but he's chosen the wrong way to do it. Of course, he doesn't know that until verse 15. He goes to Midian. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but it's hundreds of miles away. Hundreds of miles Moses has to walk. He's taking himself out of the action. I'm not near all this turmoil anymore. It still goes on. It's still real. It still needs to be addressed. But in order for me to successfully engage in it, I've got to somehow get away from it. Hundreds of miles away. And then don't miss the phrase. Don't read right by it. He sits down by a well. It's a very pregnant biblical image. Jesus sits down by a well in John chapter 4. And he offers new life to a woman who'd lost her identity. Moses, he's sitting by a well, and he's going to drink from a new fountain. It's not going to be anger, murder, hiding, and fear. It's going to be something totally new, something he hadn't envisioned, something that he didn't know how to get over in here, the action. He sits down, he separates himself from the action for a while, and he tunes in to who God is. He gets a new identity. See, see, the most challenging whitewater for Moses, the thing that was going to be most difficult for Moses to navigate was not the whitewater that's coming from the outside of the culture. It's what's coming from my own heart. That's the biggest leadership challenge for Moses. That's the biggest challenge for most of us. See, if, there's, if there is more turbulent water ahead than behind then know that the greatest challenge that you and I are going to face isn't going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the inside. Will, will we allow the outside turbulence stir up our souls to anger and hatred? Everyone here is going to at least be able to know how well they pass that test with this coming election? Will the outside turbulence cause you to hate? To wish people were dead or they didn't exist? See, because the real problem isn't outside, it's really inside what's happening inside. And Moses has to learn how to navigate that because if he doesn't navigate it well, when he gets back in the action, he's just going to go in the same circle over and over and over again. Barton, again, says this. 
God's call to us is to find a way to do what Moses did. To leave our life in the company of others, at least for a time. Listen, to let go of all of our attempts to fix whatever needs fixing. I'm just going to let go of trying to fix everybody else. Or this situation. Just for a while, I'm getting out of the action Because what I believe, she goes on to say, needs to be done is this deep interior work in my life. That's the most important thing right now. Only those who have been brave enough, listen, only those who have been brave enough to ride their own monsters of anger all the way down. What a great phrase. Only those who are brave enough to ride those emotions all the way down to the bottom we'll find a true energy to lead. This is where true leadership begins. Everything before that, it's something else. Once you ride that all the way down, then you're in a position to really offer something hopeful just in one singular conversation or a whole church. But until you ride that down, you're riding on the energy of that. And that's not true spiritual leadership. It's something else. It takes 40 years for Moses to wrestle it all the way down. And we see this transition happen in chapter 3. Look at at it with me. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. Chapter 3, verse 1. The priest of Midian. He led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Now listen carefully to verse 3 and 4. And Moses said, I will turn aside. Moses learned to turn. And I will see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, God called out, Moses, Moses. Don't don't allow your familiarity with the story to, to cause you to overlook. Moses said, I will turn aside. I, I've learned to tune into divine activity. I've learned to see that God might be working in places that I hadn't imagined and I learned to turn towards the Lord. I've learned to tune in. And verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, that's when he spoke. It's very possible that we have a big flock to attend and we're so busy attending all these things, we're missing the divine activity over here. And you say, well, I've got all these things. Yeah, well, at some point, you've got to learn to turn aside and step away to be able to hear and listen. And it's exactly the moment that he turns that God speaks. It's possible that God's waiting on you to turn, to really let go of fixing everything and to learn to turn away. Again, Barton says this, many of us are choosing lives that do not set up, are not set up to pay attention to God. 
many of us, you're choosing a lifestyle that doesn't set you up to pay attention to the Lord. We long for a word for the Lord, but we've been suckered into believing that our own pace of life is what's required. Oh, man, I hear this all the time. But, Paul, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah, I can. Why? Because my pace of life, it, it requires, I must do this. Well, then you're not going to hear. We don't turn aside, and then we wonder why we're not hearing from God. See, this, this, this is the keystone habit for Moses, this turning aside, this, this recognizing divine activity, this stepping aside and being able to hear his name be called out by the Lord. And it reshapes who he is. It reshapes his identity. It gives him a chance to be ready for leadership for the next and final 40-year phase. Look with me to Exodus chapter 6, a key moment. Exodus chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. Moses then goes back to Egypt. He's trying to encourage the people that God has spoken. God is going to deliver them. And, and like a great preacher, he comes to the end of his sermon and he's speaking for the Lord. And he says, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give you Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God hasn't forgotten all of his mighty promises and he's coming in. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. End quote. Verse 9. Moses spoke to the people, but they didn't listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. This, this is so important. Moses is speaking the truth to the people. Verse 8. Incredible truth. Powerful. Hope. Building. Yet the people are so broken they can't listen. They've been enslaved their whole lives. They need a whole new identity. And in the desert, in the desert, God wasn't just preparing Moses to lead people out of Egypt. He was preparing Moses to lead people out of brokenness. He's just not the guy who goes in and gets a bunch of people and moves out into the desert. No, he's a guy who comes in and he's been broken. And he sat aside at a new well. And he found a new identity. And he let go of anger and murder and hiding and fear. So he could step back in and hold on to his people tenderly and say, I understand. I understand you've been enslaved. I understand you don't have any idea who you are, whose you are. I understand you haven't heard a voice from the Lord. I totally get there. I've been there. And I'm going to lead you out of your brokenness into wholeness. But you're going to have to come out into the desert to hear for yourself. That's, that's real leadership. So if you're here at Christ Community Church as an elder or a Sunday school teacher or a community group leader or youth leader, maybe you're a staff member, maybe you're a mentor, maybe you work in another Christian organization in some kind of leadership capacity, this is the leadership that must be coming from you. It's this. 
It's not fulfilling just some kind of mission. It's not just getting a program going or off, off the launch pad or, or continuing. That, that's fine. But this is the real leadership. People are broken. They are enslaved. They have not heard the voice of the Lord. They don't know who they are. And they must have somebody who has been there before and says, I get it. And I can help you find the person who found me. That's real leadership. That's the real leadership that Moses offers to his people to learn how to turn. All this sets Moses up for his final 30 years. And there's, there's a whole sermon series that we could do on these 40 years I just want to mention two, two things. First one, very briefly, Exodus chapter 17, a familiar passage. When Moses and Joshua fight the Amalekites. And so you remember the, uh, the, Moses is leading hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people out of Egypt. And of course, it's a pretty long line. And who falls to the back of the line? Weak people, young people, infirm people, old people people who can't really offer any resistance to any attack. And this is where the Amalekites come in. This is what they do. They never take on the strongest part of the force. They come in behind and they raid and plunder the weak people. Then they run away with all their stuff. And Moses hears of it and he circles back around and sets up a a, a battle. And you remember the scene of the battle? It's Joshua, this great army. He's leading the people of God, the army of God, against the Amalekites. And what does Moses have to do? Remember? Stand at the top of this hill, hold up his staff. And as long as he's holding up the staff, like this victory is going to be because of the Lord, the, the Israelites advance, Joshua advanced. But what happens after a few minutes or a few hours? Oh, man, my arms get tired. And whenever they fall, they start losing. So two people come up next to Moses. He sits down, holds them up until the battle's completely over. It's not just an account. It's an object lesson for the Israelites. This is their very first battle. And God wants to submit in their mind, this is how you win the battle. Whenever you try to live like this, you lose. I've got control. I'm doing it my way. I'm deciding which battle to fight. No, you're going to lose. But when you say it's all about God, it's all for God's glory, then something good can happen. You can advance. Moses learns that in the desert. And again, there are lots of other great places, but let's just turn to Exodus chapter 14 because this is the key moment, I think, in Moses' real transition of leadership once he gets back to Egypt. Chapter 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, this is the, the Israelites have, 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 have left Egypt. They're on their way into the desert towards the Red Sea. Pharaoh draws near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Uh-oh. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. They changed their mind. They're going to come back and, and enslave them. And they were greatly afraid. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, 
Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said? I mean, how would you like to lead these people? Just excuse after excuse after excuse. Verse 13, and Moses said to the people, fear not. So you've got to circle that, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord, the Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be what? Silent. You have to sit down at a well. You have to say God's going to fix the problem. I don't want to underestimate how difficult it is simply to be silent and trust in God. Especially when the world, your world, is screaming out solutions. But if we would just turn aside, there might be another way. A way that you hadn't envisioned. In a way you could not have envisioned. Imagine if they would have time to say, Moses would say, let's have a strategy session. Let's get the whiteboard out and think, okay, we've got the Israelites here and we've got the big army here and we've got the Red Sea. What, what's our next strategy? Would they have ever come up with parting the Red Sea? No. It's not in within their power. It's not within their capacity to even think this way. But God was waiting for them just to be silent so he could step in. Some of you are in, a few of you are in this hard moment that it feels like there's no way out. There could be another way. My question is, are you willing to really trust God, turn aside and choose, of all things, silence. See, we're not wired that way. I don't know if any other country is wired this way, but America, they're not wired for silence. They're wired for action. They're wired for self-sovereignty. They're wired for everybody needs to know my opinion in 140 characters or less. That's what we're wired for. But Moses helps them see by saying this. It's not just a command, be silent. It's an invitation. Come. Come a different way than the way you would have chosen. A different way than the world is screaming at you. Come in a different way. He's, he's offering an invitation to say, I know you have God-sized problems. I know you're trying to fix them all by yourself. But there's another way. There's another way. This leads me to the concluding passage in Matthew chapter 26. So many parallels between Jesus and Moses. Matthew 26 verse 57. Near the last day of Jesus' life. Then those who had seized Jesus. 
they led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, and then the scribes and the elders gathered, and Peter was following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat down with the guards to see, to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. And they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. And the last two people came forward and said, hey, this is the man who said he was able to destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus, what does it say? They remained silent. Of all the things at Jesus' disposal in his tool belt, would this be the one you would choose right now? No. No. But Jesus had learned to turn aside in the Garden of Gethsemane and say, God, you may have a different way than I had envisioned. I was hoping this cup would pass before me, but you know what? You have a different vision. Moses led the slaves to freedom through the Red Sea. Jesus led people enslaved to their sin to freedom through his death in an empty tomb. That was the way God envisioned. So my question for me Sermon mostly for me. Have you learned to really turn? Are you so attached to your phone and your schedule and keeping up with everything? You, you just got so many things. You, you really can't discern divine activity because you're so consumed by this churn in the world and even in your soul. And I'm inviting you, Moses, Jesus He's inviting you to, to totally step aside and say, I don't have to fix my son, my spouse, my business, the election. God might have a totally different way in mind for me, but I can't know it until I turn aside. Would you trust him? If you will, then you're ready to get right back in the middle of stuff because you'll know what to listen to and what to walk away from. Let's pray. Lord, what... what what a person, Moses. But yet he's like us. He's familiar with the path that we're familiar with. Anger, murder, hiding, fear. And what was available to him in the desert, this new well, is available to every soul here. If we just turn and step aside and listen to your voice speak to us. I pray for the two or three people here who find themselves between two places that seem immovable. 
that they would trust you in that moment, remain silent, and you open up a different way, a way that we hadn't envisioned. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.